1: reading comes from 1 Corinthians 1, 10-18. Let us hear what God is saying to us today. By the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, I appeal to all of you, my friends, to agree in what you say so that there will be no divisions among you. Be completely united with only one thought and one purpose. For some people from Chloe's family have told me quite plainly, my friends, that there are quarrels among you. Let me put it this way. Each one of you says something different. One says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Peter. And another, I follow Christ. Christ has been divided into groups. Was it Paul who died on the cross for you? Were you baptized as Paul's disciples? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. No one can say then that you were baptized as my disciples. Oh yes, I also baptized Stephanus and his family, but I can't remember whether I baptized anyone else. Christ did not send me to baptize. He sent me to tell the good news and to tell it without using the language of human wisdom in order to make sure that Christ's death on the cross is not robbed of its power. For the message about Christ's death on the cross is nonsense to those who are being lost. But for us who are being saved, it is God's power. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. We invite all those that are able to stand once again for the reading of Scripture, our second lesson, which comes to us from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. We stand out of respect for God's Word, but also in solidarity with Christians around the world who gather on this Sunday, the Lord's Day, to worship. And we're reminded that we are not alone, uh, but that we have brothers and sisters all over the world. Let us hear now as we read Scripture what the Spirit wants to say to the church this morning. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and He cured them. And great crowds followed Him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Will you pray with me one more time? O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our, ho- our hearts be found acceptable, oh God, in your sight, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, make sure my wireless is working here. I hope that you all had a, a good Valentine's Day yesterday. Um, we are kind of here in the midst of a transition. A few weeks ago, we finished the solas. We looked at the five solas of the Reformation. Uh, Last week, we heard from uh, Cody Watson on Global Mission Sunday and and heard about the Great Commission. And next week will be the first Sunday in Lent. And in Lent, we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes, uh, particularly the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be working through those slowly. We'll be studying those in our Lenten small groups as well. So this week is kind of an in-between week. Uh, but I thought that in preparation for Lent, which is funny because Lent in itself is a preparation, a preparation for Easter. So I thought in preparation for a season of preparation, uh, that we might look at the story that comes before the Beatitudes, so that we might know the context in which Jesus gives and starts the Sermon on their Mount. And so this morning, this story might be familiar to you. You might remember, like I do, my Sunday school teachers putting on the flannel graph uh, that really weird-looking boat, right? And uh, the disciples and maybe a net and some fish. And the calling of Jesus to the disciples to come fish for people or become fishers of men. This this common, well-known phrase. And this story is a story about call. And in the Presbyterian tradition, we love to talk about call. We're obsessed with it. Um, When I was in seminary, and even before seminary, to go to seminary, I had to stand before the Committee on Preparation for Ministry, which is a committee of the Presbytery that decides uh, who gets to enter the ordination process, and I had to give my call story. My call story. The moment that I felt called in to ordained ministry, pastoral ministry. Uh... But that wasn't the last time I'd have to tell that story, right? I'd have to tell that story again before the Committee on Ministry, again before the entire Presbytery of the Miami Valley, again in a seminary class. Then I'd have to write it so that uh, churches that were looking for pastors could know it. right? I, I told that story a lot. I got to know it really well. And I, I asked Reverend Hasey, the 845 story, did you have to say that story as many times? Yeah, we're obsessed with the call story. We love... To talk about call. In fact, one of the things uh, when you're looking for a pastor, uh, we as pastors, we don't accept jobs. I don't know if you know this. We accept calls. Uh, the APNC, Bruce Howard in the first service who was on my APNC was just laughing his head as I was talking about this Because you can imagine if you're, you're on that committee and you're talking to friends and family about what it is you're doing, there's all this language about call. It's really confusing to people. But we as Reformed Christians, as Presbyterians, we're obsessed With call. And this is the first call story. This is the first time Jesus calls anyone. Now there's stories in the Old Testament of call. Uh, Many stories, in fact. Uh, Samuel being one of the most famous kind of call stories in the Old Testament. But this is the first time Jesus does it. Do you remember when you were called... When Christ called you, not necessarily to pastoral ministry, but to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower. When were you called? That's the story that we are in this morning. And it's a familiar story. Uh, It takes up only four verses in the Gospel of Matthew, only two in the Gospel of Mark, but like Debbie said in the children's sermon, much longer in the Gospel of Luke. But these four verses here in Matthew, they tell two different stories about two different brothers. But nevertheless, they are are life-altering, life-changing stories. It begins with Jesus taking a walk by the sea as one is apt to do. Now we don't know why Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Perhaps the day was coming to a close and he looked down at his Fitbit or his Garmin, whatever, and he noticed he only had 4,000 steps and he really needed to go on a walk so he could get to that all elusive 10,000 steps for the day. I don't know why Jesus is out walking. Maybe he just wanted to hear the sound of the lake, the sea. Maybe he just wanted some fresh air. But he's at the Sea of Galilee, uh, the largest freshwater body in, in Israel. A famous sea uh, or a lake will show up over and over again in Jesus' ministry. Lots of things will happen at the lake. The Sea of Galilee It has a, lo- a lot of other names. It's fed by the Jordan River in the north, which then moves through all the way and empties back out on the south side. It's teeming with life. Uh, lots of fish. The wildlife in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's really famous for its tilapia, lots of tilapia in the Sea of Galilee, uh, also known as St. Peter's Fish. Um, so Jesus goes for a walk. And if you can imagine with me, you can see the scene, right? He's walking along the shoreline. The water's lapping making a little bit of noise. Maybe birds are overhead. Maybe it's the end of the day and the pink and the orange in the sky that says the day is coming to a close. Jesus is walking. And he sees these two brothers. And they're about their business. They're about the the normal, mundane, everyday life kind of stuff, right? They're fishing. That's what you do in the lake. You fish. And here they are. Perhaps they're yelling at each other as brothers often do, right? No, not like that. No, you need to do it like this, right? I don't know what's happening, but they're fishing. And Jesus says to them these words that we know well. Come, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. What's amazing about this story and about this verse is that word, Come is not a request. It's a command. It's in the imperative. Jesus tells them, come. Follow me. Or literally, come after me. Get behind me. Come. The second half of the sentence, the first half is an imperative. It's a command. The second half is a promise. And I will make you fishers of people. This isn't anything that these two brothers are going to do. This is God's work. God's promise. That if they follow the command, God will do something in their life. The Gospel wants us to know how they respond to this command and this promise. Immediately, it says. It's an adverb. Right away, without haste, immediately. They leave their nets. They don't hesitate. They don't write out a list of pros and cons like I am often apt to do. Um, But you could imagine if they were to write a list of pros and cons, right? Uh, Do we have any uh, Jimmy Fallon Tonight Show fans in here, right? I love Jimmy Fallon. I grew up watching him on Saturday Night Live, and I was excited when he took over the reins of the Tonight Show, and he has this recurring segment called Pros and Cons. He he does this uh, with some regularity. You can imagine the pros and cons list that the disciples here, or uh, these two brothers might do, right? Um, Jesus says, come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of people. They look at each other, and they go, well, pro... um, He promised to make us fishers of people? Oh yeah, but con, I have no idea what that means. Don't know. Pro, he wants us. Somebody wants us. Con, yeah, but we were taught not to go anywhere with strangers, so there's that. I don't know this guy. Pro, we won't have to work anymore. We won't have to fish anymore. That's great, right? Con, yeah, but I don't want to be a cannibal. And it's kind of what it sounds like he's asking us to do, right? Fish for people. I don't know. This is, this is strange. You get the picture, right? They might have gone back and forth, pro and con, pro and con. Is this good? Is this bad? What should we do? And this is what we do as humans, right? I can remember sitting at my kitchen table when I was 18 years old and a senior in high school. And I had to decide where to go to college. And it was between Iowa State and Azusa Pacific University. And I remember listing them, right? All of the things. pro. Iowa State's three hours from home. Con, Iowa State's three hours from home. Right? I mean, you do this. Um, but they don't do that. Wise decision making. Discernment. It takes time. Thought. But they don't do that. Immediately, they get up. They follow Jesus. Without thought, without even a conversation about the implications of what this will mean. They get up and they follow. In fact, the text tells us that they leave their nets or they abandon their nets. The word abandon means that you're never coming back. If you abandon something, it means it's over, it's done. I am done with that. They don't just immediately get up, they immediately get up and abandon their nets. Leaving behind. Everything they once knew. Walking away from their jobs, their livelihood, to follow a stranger. They leave a sure thing. The Sea of Galilee is a really good place to fish. They leave their boats, their nets, everything to follow Jesus. Jesus. And so the story continues. Jesus is continuing to walk down the lake, right? The the night is not over. The day is still young, apparently. And and behind him are these two brothers walking along. We don't know how far they go, but they go some ways down the lake shore. And Jesus spots two more brothers, this time the, the sons of Zebedee. And they're with their dad, and they're working hard. This time they're not fishing, but they're cleaning their nets. So maybe they're done for the day. Um, they are mending their nets. Perhaps they're bent over, cleaning the muck and the mud, the junk that has gotten into their fishing nets. Maybe they're tying new ropes to repair the holes in their nets that who knows what has caused. And here comes Jesus. This time, the text just tells us he calls them. The word kaleo, to call, to be called. It's the same word that the word church comes from. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. Maybe you've heard that term before. Uh, Ekklesia, ek, out of, or from. Klesia, kaleo, called. Literally, the church is the called out ones. The ones who are called. That's what it means to be the church. And here Jesus is beginning a new community. A new type of congregation calling out. So these two brothers, just like the ones previously, they get up immediately and they follow. They don't think about it. They don't do a pro and con list either. They don't ask each other, hey, you think this is a good idea? No, they just simply get in line behind Simon and Andrew. In my head this week, I was thinking about this, and I was like, can you imagine this conversation, right? So here's Jesus. He's called Simon and Andrew. They're behind him now. He's called Peter or uh, James and John, and here they go. They get behind as well, and, and maybe the four of them start having this kind of conversation, right? Like, so he called you too, huh? Yeah. So what do you know about this guy? Well, not much. He said, come, and so we did. I don't really know how we got here. I don't really know what we're doing. Well, yeah, I've seen you out on the lake before. You guys had a pretty good setup over there. Yeah, but it's gone now. I don't know. I don't know what happened to my boat. Like, here we are. What what are we doing? Right? I don't don't know how that conversation goes, but you can imagine. Here are these four fishermen, literally moments before, but now they're following Jesus. They're not sure what's going to come next. They don't know. And in the second story, the second part, We're given a new detail. It's different about James and John. The Gospel writer wants us to know that they didn't just leave their nets and their boat, but they left their father Zebedee. He's left literally holding the nets that they're mending. And off go the brothers. This is the Greco-Roman world. uh, In the Greco-Roman world, and these guys are Jewish. In the Jewish world, family is everything. That's all that matters. And yet, here go these two brothers, walking away, not only from their livelihood, but from their very family, leaving dad, holding the nets. These are some irresponsible sons. Maybe that sounds familiar. <laughs> you don't walk away from family. What a disgrace! And yet, Jesus calls. And so they follow. They obey the command come, follow me. Because, friends, when the God of the universe, when the Creator of everything seen and unseen calls, you follow. As The Godfather, the great movie says, they got an offer they couldn't refuse, right? Because that's what happens when you are called. This is amazing grace. Because Jesus chooses them. They don't choose Jesus. Do you get that? Do you see that? This isn't their decision. This is God's decision. This is God's work. Hey, you are coming with Me. They're chosen. Jesus calls them in the midst of their everyday life to follow. Right from where they are, just as they are, his call, come. And we can hear it if we listen carefully this morning. Because it's still there. Come. And what strikes me about this is that he calls them while they're fishing, right? I mean, these are not the the elite. These are not the educated. These are not the best of the bit. These are fishermen. I don't know if you know much about fishermen or if we have any fishermen in here. But after a day of fishing, I, I, you don't smell very good, do you? I remember going fishing with my uncle uh, when I was a child, and I just remember the smell. Of the fit. I mean, it smells awful. Here they are. They smell bad. They're dirty. They've been working hard. And Jesus says, come, just as you are. With all of the muck and the dirt and the junk of your life, come. I want you just as you are. Come. And my promise to you, I'll make you fish people. All you must do is follow. Follow. Isn't it a huge relief that God wants us as we are? We don't have to get it all figured out first that God calls us. But so often when God calls, we don't really listen, do we? Because to follow means to give up control. To follow means to go with Jesus. It means to get out of our small boats to stop mending our nets and to follow. And when we follow, where do we go? What does God call us to do, to be about? The second half of the Scripture this morning gives us a picture. It gives us a clue. What does Jesus do? He goes throughout Galilee teaching, proclaiming the good news, and curing every disease. Throughout the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, these three themes will pop up over and over and over again. Jesus taught. Jesus preached the good news of the Gospel that the Kingdom of God is here. And He heals sickness, hurt, pain. This is what it means to follow. To teach, to preach, and to heal. When we follow Jesus is this What our lives look like, lives of teaching, lives of witness to the kingdom, lives of healing and hope. So this morning, do we hear Him? Friends, it's an offer that we can't refuse. And how is God calling you? Lent begins this Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. We hope that you'll join us for our two services—one at noon and one at six thirty—as we worship together. And Lent is a season, like we said, or like said, of preparation as we prepare for uh, for Easter. It's also historically a time in the church where we fast; we give something up. And the reason that we do that, the reason that we fast, is because in fasting, when we don't eat, guess what happens? When you don't eat, we get hungry. When we get hungry, we're reminded that we need food. We need sustenance to survive. And so too, that hunger turns us towards God. Because in knowing that we need food, we realize that we need God. That without God, we have nothing. That we rely on God for everything. This is what Lent is about. It's a time where we begin to hear anew God's call on our life, that we are chosen, that we are His children. So, this Lent, how is God calling you? What and where does God want you to go? Uh, perhaps God's calling you to a season of prayer. We're going to have a weekly prayer service on Thursdays, and we invite you to that. Or perhaps it's in your own home to pick up the, the discipline of praying together before uh, work or after work or with your family uh, to, to read Scripture together. There, there's all kinds of ways that God calls us in this community of faith here at First Press uh, to work in our children and youth ministry, to teach a class, to lead a small group, to work with college students at the Abbey, to go on a mission trip this summer, to take a week to serve the needy and the homeless. Perhaps it's to give to our global missions offering. There's all kinds of ways that God might be calling you here. And I don't know what that is. But God also calls us out of this place, out of this community of faith, and into the world. And God might have a call for you in that place. To leave your nets behind and follow. In the Reformed tradition, I said earlier that call is something we care deeply about. Because call is what defines us as Christians. Uh, In his latest book, uh, Mark Labberton, He was the pastor at First Pres. Berkeley in California for a long time. He's now the president of Fuller Theological Seminary. He writes a new book called Called, The Crisis and Promise of Following Jesus Today. And in it, he talks about this idea of being called. And in particular, what he wants to do is kind of recapture the Reformed tradition's understanding of the word vocation. Not to be confused with vacation, which is great when we get a vacation. But vocation, our daily living, our call. That that God calls us in the midst of the mundane stuff of our lives to follow. That that is the call. Calvin and some of the other reformers were were really insistent on um, not separating the sacred from the secular. That that was a a tradition that kind of had been handed down. But they want to put it back together. They want to say, all of life is sacred, all of life is holy. So whether you're a doctor or a lawyer, a teacher or an engineer, a mother or a grandparent, a father or a student, that what it means to follow Jesus is to be that, but be a Christian. There's no separation. The book of order in the directory for worship says it this way. God hollows daily life. Daily life provides an opportunity for Holy living. As Christians honor and serve God in daily life, they worship God. For Christians, work and worship cannot be separated. How we live our lives outside of this place matters. It matters. What we do in here for an hour on Sunday mornings shapes what we ought to be doing out there the rest of the time. That's the call. The call is to go out into the world, to be fishers of people. And the amazing thing about this call, friends, is that there's a promise. The promise that God is going to do it. So do you hear God calling this morning? To get out of the boat, to leave the nets behind. Christ calls. Will we follow? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.